Now, as you pull out your message notes, uh, I want to continue our series deeper. Really, this series has been a series with one goal in mind, and that's to help Christians and us who come to church have a better understanding of some topics that there's some misunderstandings in. And I think it's a tragedy for us to reject parts of Christianity simply because we don't understand it. It would be like someone saying, look, I don't like basketball, and you're asking them, hey, why don't you like basketball? And they say, because I don't want to be tackled. Right, it's not even the right sport. We're, we're not even talking about the same thing. And so the, the truth is you don't get tackled in basketball. You dribble the ball. And so there's misunderstanding would cause you to miss out on that. I think the same is true with the concepts and principles that God has in his word. I think there's some topics that people, if they understood God's word clearly, they wouldn't reject it. They would actually embrace it. And it's nothing new to our day. We saw this happen in the early church. There were things that the early uh, people in the, around the church, they didn't understand. And because of their lack of understanding, they simply rejected it. And look at Acts chapter 2, verse 12. This has been our theme verse for this series. And we see the same thing happening. It says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So they didn't understand. They didn't know what was happening. This is the birthing of the early church coming out of the upper room when God filled them with power. And the people around don't understand what's having or taking place. And so it says some of them, however, made fun of them and said, now isn't that interesting? How I many know we make fun of that which we don't understand? And so they're making fun of them, which I think some people do about Christianity and the church, not because they're rejecting God, they just reject the package. They don't understand what's really taking place. And so uh, we see here, it says, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice to address the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. And that's what I'm trying to do in this series. I want to take a moment. And I just want to pause and I want to explain this to us so that we can understand. He says, look, listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So it's too early to be drunk. They're not drinking. They didn't had too much wine. No, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now I know us sitting here today, that doesn't mean a lot to us. But in the early church, they would have, and this crowd would have read the prophet Joel. And so they would have been praying for the prophecy that Joel declared to come forth in their life. And here's the tragedy. When it actually shows up, the word that Joel prophesied, the people rejected what they were praying for. Can you imagine that? God, I'm praying for this one thing. It shows up. It didn't show up like you thought it would. So now you reject the very thing that you have been praying your whole life for. That's what happened in the early church. And so this series is really to take some topics where I can go just a little bit deeper and help eliminate any confusion or misunderstanding in that topic and bring some balance to the understanding of that topic. The first week we talked about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. How many enjoyed that topic on the Holy Spirit? And, you know, I say we are a, and I say this lightly, and I probably wouldn't say it out, but we're a spirit-filled church, and not to say others aren't, but we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, the evidence of what the Holy Spirit brings in our life. And if you would like more uh, to learn more about it, go back and watch it on YouTube. Listen to it on the podcast. It was a great biblical teaching about the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Phyllis did a great job talking about praise and worship. How many enjoyed her message? I don't know about you, but this morning, it's like, God, I want to party in this place so your presence will dwell here. And if you missed it, go back and watch it. It was such a great and powerful message. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about healing. A lot of people are praying for God to heal them, and you know they're, they're, they're struck with cancer or diabetes and other sickness, and we know that we serve a God that heals. And so I just want to bring some deeper understanding on the topic of healing. Now today, I'm going to talk about the topic of prosperity. I saw you kind of get a little, you know, prosperity. I, I said it, you know. And, and if you are like me, I kind of cringe when I hear the word prosperity. Anybody else out there like that? I, you know, when I begin, begin to hear the topic, it's like, oh, I think about all the times 
where I've heard that word brought up, but it's in an abusive way. It's, it's someone saying things to people so that they can get rich in and of themselves. So, so they're manipulating people like, hey, if you'll give $1,000, God's going to give you what you want. Here, just make a donation, and you name it and claim it. You blab it and grab it. Come on, we've all heard those statements. And I have to tell you, I just don't believe that's the way God operates. I believe God has a higher way to operate. And just because it's been abused in the past doesn't mean it's not a biblical word. So we've got to talk about this topic and go a little bit deeper. Now, recently I heard a story about one pastor who made an offer to his church. He said, look, if you'll give $1,000, I'll let you pick out three hymns. The lady was sitting in the back, and she pulled out $1,000 out of her purse. She walks down to the front. She hands $1,000 to the pastor, turns around, and says, I'll take him, him, and him. <laughs> Somebody like, Pastor, does that stand here? No, no. <laughs> Thought you needed a laugh. Look, let's study and dive into the topic of prosperity. Prosperity, let me tell you the Hebrew word. They're going to put it up on the screen. I'm not going to dare try to pronounce it for uh, the inability to pronounce it. But I can tell you what it means. It means to favor. Everybody say favor. To render successful, say successful. And then to push forward. Everybody say forward. Now, isn't that interesting? When you hear the word prosperity, what we think of is different than what the biblical term actually represents. So many times when you think of prosperity, you think about money. And look, prosperity, according to the biblical definition, really isn't even talking about money at all. It's really talking about the power and the presence of God pushing your life forward. Like there's this unseen force that I walk into a room and I've got favor. There's this unseen force in my life and I'm successful in what I put my hands to. It's like I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I couldn't be good enough for it. But somehow God just keeps pushing my life forward because the prosperity of God, the blessing of God is on my life. I feel like that's what happened here at the church. You know, I have to tell you, I'm not smart enough to build a church like what we've seen God build in the last six years. I'm not good enough. I've I've dealt with in my life the spirit of inferiority. Anybody ever felt not good enough? I mean, I think we all can face that fact. But what I have realized is the quality of what God's doing in my life has nothing to do with how good I am or how smart I am or how great I am. It has to do with the blessings of God, the prosperity of God that's chasing my life down. And it's amazing that when you will understand this term and you will begin to live in the process that God set us so that we would be blessed as a people, he'll take your marriage to places you can never take your marriage on your own. He'll take your kids and have them do things they could have never done on their own. He will take your life and begin to push it forward in this earth. It's amazing. It's amazing. And God's not shy about the word. And I know there's a hesitation. I I don't even know if I like to use that word. You're probably, even though I'm preaching on this, I don't and probably won't say prosperity. I like blessings of God a little bit better. I I think there are just some words. It's hard. But look, God's not afraid of that word prosperity. Look in Genesis 26, verse 12 and 13. We find it all throughout the Bible. I just want to give you this example. It says, then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped the same year a hundredfold. Now, the reason that's in there, that's pretty unusual. The first year you reap, you don't typically reap a hundredfold, but Isaac does. And then look at it, it says, and the Lord blessed him. How many want to be blessed by the Lord? And I get it. Look, you know, you could sit there and you could say, well, should I, could I, like, is it okay? It is okay for you to be blessed by God. What's the option? The, The opposite. Do you want to be cursed? Oh, no. Come on, somebody. I want to be blessed by God. And so look, it says God blessed him. And then look at this. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. How many want that to be the statement of your life? That I've begun to prosper, I've continued prospering, and I've become very prosperous. God's not afraid of this term. It's a biblical term. And he wants his people to prosper. Look at Proverbs 11.10. When the righteous prosper, the righteous, those who love God, those who are in right standing with God. Look, let me say it this way. When the right people have the right things, other people benefit from it. 
The right people have the right things other people benefit from. It says a city rejoices. Imagine this city rejoicing because you are prosperous. Imagine this city rejoicing because there's a church in Rosenberg, Texas, where we understood the biblical concept of prosperity, and the city rejoices. Why? Because we understand we've got this to bless the world around us. And I love this verse. Look at this verse. Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25, a generous person will prosper. A generous person. Now, why would he say generous person would prosper? It's because God says, look, if you're going to be generous, if you're going to have the attitude of generosity, which means these are your things, but you're blessing people with them, that you have things and things don't have you, then what God says is, look, I'm going to prosper you because I can trust you. You've got the right attitude in your life, and I'm going to let the blessings of God chase you down. I'm going to bless you. Look at 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. Just laying a foundation. Beloved, I pray that you would prosper. Everybody say prosper. In a couple of things. <clears throat> Just financially. What does he say? Some of you weren't reading. You're like, oh, amen, pastor, in a couple of things. In pro- no, no. He says in all. Everybody say all. All things. God wants you to prosper, and he wants you to be in health. Just as your soul prospers. So look, prosperity is not just about money. Prosperity is about every area of your life. God wants your marriage to prosper. God wants your family to prosper. God wants your finances to prosper. God wants the joy and the emotional condition of your life to prosper. Look, he would love for you to go to work with so much joy and more joy than anyone else so that you could share that joy with everyone else. God wants you to go to the grocery store with more hope than anyone else so that you could share that hope with everyone else. Look, you can't give what you don't have and it can't be just enough for what I need. There's gotta be more than enough and when there's more than enough, I can freely give to others. It's God's purpose. And really, that's what biblical prosperity really is. Biblical prosperity is in every area of your life having more than you need. So you're not just having enough. It's not just what I need, but it's more than enough. Look, when I first got married and when I was in college, I know what it's like to live on manna. Come on, somebody. That's a biblical term for just enough. God provided Raymond noodles at the right time. God had someone give me the hookup at the right time. My mom and dad said, hey, let's go eat dinner at the right time. But there's got to be a point in my life where I'm not trying to get a hookup. I'm not trying to just make it. But God has blessed me with more than enough in my life. And that's where as a man of God, as a child of God, as a woman of God, it's not about age, it's about maturity. God, I want you to bless me, but look what it is, so that I can make an eternal difference in the lives of others. Oh, biblical prosperity has a purpose. Biblical prosperity has a purpose. Like there's a reason that God blesses me. And here's the reason. We believe as a church that God has hand-selected each and every one of you to live your life in this generation. God is going to hold us accountable for what we did in this generation. How did we live our lives? Did we live our lives in such a way as to make a difference with the people we come in contact with, to use the resources he blessed us with, to touch the world? We are accountable for this generation. And we fully believe that, that we're called to leverage our lives to make a difference. And that's really why our vision here at Anchor Bend, you see it on the stage, the first thing, we want you to know God. You can't do it if you don't have the foundation of a relationship with God. That's the first and the primary and the foremost of every person is that I don't need religion. I don't need a bunch of do's and don'ts. I want a relationship with a living God who will change me from the inside out. Second thing is we want you to find freedom. It's not good enough just to have God and surrendered your life to him. I need freedom from the pain of the past. I need to close the door on my yesterdays. We've got pain in our hearts, and you live your life experiencing through those filters of pain never being healed, where our goal is that you would find freedom. Got that amen? You heard that? Third thing is this. Discover your purpose. 
We want every person to discover their why. There's a reason you're created. God planted you in this generation for this time because he's got something for you to do. First experience salvation, but now I need you to get healed and get some freedom so that now you can discover your why. And then once you discover that, I need you to go and make a difference. So the ultimate goal of Christianity, once you become a believer, you're experiencing freedom. You've discovered your purpose. Now I got to go make a difference. I got to hit the highways and the byways. I got to come inside these four walls and outside these four walls and bring Jesus to the world that's around us. It's our goal as Christians to make a difference with our life that we believe, God, you bless us, but it's so that we can be a blessing. God blesses us. But he wants us to be a blessing. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I will bless you. Now, this is God speaking to Abraham, and you will be a blessing to others. So God blesses Abraham. Well, why does he bless Abraham? Just to give him more stuff? No, no, no. It's so that he can go out and bless others to be a blessing to the world around him. Now, I love our church because since we've started, we've been outward focused. We focus on outreach, which is why our campus is called the Fort Bend Dream Center, because we want to be able to meet the needs of others and help them dream in their life where their dreams have died, their hopes have died, all the things in their life have fallen apart. We believe that God will help them dream again. It's what we're passionate about, and a great way to get involved is actually in September 23rd through the 27th, we're going to have what we call Love Week, and we're going to go out and we're going to serve our community in different projects all around the community, and we're going to make a difference, and we're going to go and love on people, not expecting anything from them. We don't even need them to come to church. If they come to church, that's great, but what we need them to do is experience the love of God because God has blessed us so much in our lives. And I want to invite you, you're going to hear a little bit more about it. I want to invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, It's going to be an amazing week. But listen, it can't just be about love week. It's got to be a lifestyle of generosity. And really, that's one of our values here is that generosity is a lifestyle, that we lead the way by giving our time, talent, and treasure, that everything in our life, we're going to be generous as people. We believe God's blessed us to be a blessing. The second thing, when we bless others, God takes care of our needs. God blesses those who bless others. It's a biblical principle. God takes care of those who take care of things that God is passionate about. I often hear Philippians 4.19, and as a young Christian, I prayed it all the time, especially as life was really, really tough, just barely making it. And part of that was, you know, God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And it's awesome. It's in my prayer journal. It's still in my prayer journal. But I want to bring some clarity and context to this passage of Scripture. When you actually go back and you want to get a context of a verse, instead of just cherry picking, you really should read the previous chapter and the chapter afterwards, understand what the whole book is talking about. But we don't even have to do that in this context of this passage. If we'll just go back one verse, everybody say one verse. To verse 18, we can get the context of what God is saying to us through his word. Look, it says, I... And this is Paul speaking to the Philippians church, which is why it's called the book of Philippians. And so I have all that I need and more. So Paul's saying this is my state. My current condition is I have all that I need and more. So he is prospering. And then how did he become prosperous? It says, now that I have received your gifts from Epaphroditus. So in other words, the church at Philippines, uh, uh, the Philippi church has given to Paul and met his needs, and not just his needs, but more than enough. And look at how God looks at this. It says, those gifts that you gave, they're a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So he is pleased. That he focused, the church focused on the needs of Paul. And then look at what it says. And, so in other words, then my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So in other words, the Philippian church says, look, I'm going to meet Paul's needs. There's a need. God has moved on us to give. We don't know their condition. Many times it actually says they gave out of need and necessity themselves, which mean they had things that weren't going to be paid for. They had needs that weren't going to be met, but they sacrificially gave to the apostle Paul who was on assignment from God because the Holy 
Holy Spirit moved on them. And then because they were generous, now God says, and I will meet all of your needs according to your riches and your glory in Christ Jesus. Oh, oh, I get it. So it doesn't really matter my condition. I just, I'm hearing your word and I'm going to obey. And as I do, then you provide for me. I don't know about you, but I would much rather God provide for me than me provide for me. God, you do a much better job than I do and could ever do. And so when you read the context, it's like, oh, wow. Oh, they were dependent on God. They listened to God. They were generous. And then God blessed them because of their generosity. And I get, look, some people say, I want to be financially independent. I want to be financially secure. And I, I just want you to know, no, you don't. Like, you really don't. I mean, if you think about it, because then what you're saying is, my hope and my security relies in me and my stuff. I don't want to be self-secure. I want to be God-secure. I don't want to be financially secure. I want to be God-secure. Because God is recession-proof. Like, I don't know about you, but how many had money in stock market, and it all of a sudden went away. It was like, bye-bye. It's like, oh, I thought I had, no, 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 you ain't got no money. In fact, you owe me. (laughs) We realize that my hope is in stuff. That stuff is fleeting. But when my hope is in God, then my security is in God. And I'm not saying don't be wise. We all have 401ks. You should. You should have savings. But my hope is not in those things. We focus on blessing others. God focuses on blessing us. Third thing is the more God blesses us, the more he expects us to bless others. Got another amen. Come on, somebody. God's blessing come with responsibility. God's blessing comes with responsibility. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 48. It says, much is required from those to whom much is given. Think about that. Much is required. Everybody look at me. Much is required. Everybody say required. Required. From those to whom much is given. It says, for the responsibility is greater. I mean, if you think about that, I I hear people all the time say, but pastor, I don't have much. Says who? Pastor, I don't make that much money. Says who? I mean, at the end of the day, the challenge is that we are actually, we're, we're comparing our life to Instagram, this whole highlight reel, like, like if I had that, then I would be wealthy, then I would be rich. And so we compare our lives with other people, never feeling satisfied or blessed, not realizing the blessing that God has blessed us with in our life. I was reading a book called Hole in Our Gospel by Richard Stearns, president of World Vision. And I I want you just to see these stats because you should not compare yourself with how you feel you are compared with others in America. If we're going to do this right and how God does it, God judges us based on how it is around the world. You with me? Look at what Richard said. These are some stats. If you made $1,500 last year, $1,500, come on somebody, how many think $1,500 is a lot? Like... You're like, ooh, that ain't that much. Come on, son, that ain't a whole lot. Look, you're in the top 20% of world income earners. 1,500 last year. Here's another stat that will just shock you. If you're in 25,000 or more annually, you're in the top 10% of world income earners. 25,000. If you earn 50,000 annually, you're in the top 1% of the world income earners. 50,000. Now, I know what you didn't do. You didn't just hit your neighbor and your spouse say, wow, we're rich. If that's you, that's not what you did. I know. Why? Because the struggle's real. The struggle's real. Like, I get it. It's hard to pay bills when you're making that a little amount of money. It's hard to have life as we would like to have life. But I need you to know that you're a blessed people, that if you're sitting here, we are blessed. You got a car with air conditioning. You got a house that has air conditioning. You even got this thing called hot water. Like, you just turn it up. Woo, feels so good. And listen, you even got a house for your clothes. which is bigger than most people's houses around the world. And yet we would say, God, I'm not blessed. And God's saying, no, you are blessed. If we would stop trying to keep up with the Joneses, we'd actually be able to do something with the blessing that God has given us in our lives. 
And really, what God's going to ask us is, what did you do with the blessings that I gave you? Did you bless others? Did you make a difference? Or did we waste it on ourselves? Here's the question. Have you become a dam? Have you become a pipe that's been plugged up? God's blessings come to you, but go no further. The goal is God wants us to be a funnel. That God wants us to be a reservoir. That the, the blessings of God would just flow right to us. God, you can bless me, and I'm going to bless others. God, I thank you for what you give me, and I'm going to give it to others. And then what happens is, as the pass-through takes place you're a blessed person and look hear my heart let me just tell you I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody I'm talking to myself what I want us to do is be aware that there is a responsibility God doesn't want you guilty God wants you responsible I want to be blessed I want to be prosperous and God wants us to as well but there is a responsibility that comes with it everybody say I'm blessed say it one more time say I'm blessed Say it a third time. One more time. I'm blessed. See, some of you need to get that. I'm blessed. Now, here's a question that I would be asking if I'm sitting out there with you is, are we all blessed at the same level? Like, do we all have the equal amount of blessing in our life? And the answer is, of course not. Of course not. We're not all equally blessed. And I'm not just talking about finances, but every area of our life. There are some people that are more blessed than others. Well, then my next question, if I'm you, is I'm saying, well, how do I become blessed? more blessed? How do I become more prosperous? And the Bible is very clear in its instruction to us so that we can live the life God's called us to live. So I want to go through some scriptures with you. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who, everybody say who. So there's a condition. So you'll be blessed, but here's the condition. Who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take a seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. So I love the law of God, the, the word of God. It's my delight. That person is like a tree that's planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, which I love that because you're not always going to be producing. How many know fruit comes in seasons? I just got to be ready and prepared so that when the fruit comes, I can be a good steward of what God brings to my life. And it says, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So in other words, my, my leaves don't wither because I'm connected to the source. And some seasons I produce more and some seasons I produce less. But whatever I do will prosper. Wow, that's a pretty amazing passage. And, and what we understand is, okay, God, in your promises, which God gives us, his promises, and there's thousands of them for us to grab a hold of as believers, his promises are conditional. There are conditions to God's promises. Let me just show you a couple of passages, and you'll understand. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And these are actually found all throughout the Bible. I'm just going to point out two. And if you're new to Christianity or the faith, this is a scripture we pray a lot, especially at the National Day of Prayer. We're praying for God to heal our land, to touch America. We would pray this prayer. If my people, now how many know if means there's a condition. So if you do this, we're going to read, who are called by my name, they will humble themselves, they will pray, they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, everybody say then. So if you do this, God says, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. So it's if then. If you do this, God says, then I will do that. Here's Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, and I like to, you could put then, you will find me. So it's a condition. Like if you look for me, not half-heartedly, not just occasionally, but when you come after me wholeheartedly, what are you going to do? You're going to find him. So that's a promise when we meet the condition, which is pursuit with a whole heart. The, these are all throughout the Bible. And someone said, well, why would God put conditions? Like, that doesn't even sound fair. Like, God, you ought to just bless your children. Well, as parents, we do this all the time, right? I mean, hey, child, whichever 17 of them you have, whichever one you call, if you will clean your room, I'll let you go play with friends. Or I'll let you live. Either way. Well, they both work for me, Right? Right. If you come home on time, then I'll give you more freedom to go out with your friends again. Right. If you do this, then you can do that. If, if you eat all your dinner, then you can have dessert. Come on, somebody. But I'm not giving you dessert without first eating your dinner. Why? Because I'm trying to teach you how to eat responsibly. 
If you do your chores, then I'll give you an allowance. I don't just give you an allowance because then you feel entitled. You got to do something for the money. You want me to show you the money? Show me the chores. Come on, somebody. Like, right? Why do we do that? Because we're trying to raise responsible kids. We're trying to teach them that obedience brings a promise. Well, God's the same way. If we didn't have the obedience before we got the promise, the promise would destroy us. And so these if-thens happen all throughout the, the Bible. Every promise has a premise. And so with prosperity, you've got to first settle it in your heart. Look, I am called to be prosperous. I am called to be blessed. But it's not just for me because biblical prosperity means that I'm going to bless the world around me. I'm going to make a difference in the world around me. So if these promises are conditional, how do I become more prosperous and more blessed? The first thing and, and there's tons of them. There's actually five in your notes. I'm only doing four. There's tons of them. I just thought, here's the four I would want you to know. You got to put God first. First and foremost, you want to be prosperous. You want to be blessed. You got to live a God first life. That's why we're doing 21 days of prayer. 21 days of prayer is us refocusing our lives. We're on day 15 today. We're going to finish up this next Saturday. We meet at the Dream Center. There's about 100 of you showing up, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. We are praying. We are seeking God. And then my expectation is if you're not there at the Dream Center, everybody is spending an extra hour with God in the morning. What are we doing? We're saying, God, you must be first in my life. We're rearranging our lives to live a God-first life. Right? So it comes through prayer, comes through worship, comes through reading your, your scriptures, the Bible. It, goes, it comes through going to church 52 weeks out the year. Come on, somebody. Like, we ought to be in church every week. That's part of a God-first life. It's about being in a small group. We're putting God at the center of our life. We're getting freedom. We're saying, God, we're going we're gonna to operate in your system, in your process. But putting God first is more than just that. It's more than just a time of prayer, reading your scripture, worship, or coming to church or small group. Really, putting God first is boiled down to the way we steward our finances. I, I got three. Thank you for my amen and hallelujah. You know, sometimes people say, yeah, but I'll do all this, but I don't want to do that. God, I'll give you all this, but I'm not going to give you all that. Well, that's okay, but it kind of goes back to you can't have dessert till you eat your dinner. You're saying, God, I want you to open up the windows of heaven. God, I want you to bless me. God, I want you to prosper me. But you can't have that without this. Look, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, and this is God's uh, conditional blessing. If you honor the Lord, I like to put if, but this is how it says, is honor the Lord with what? With your possessions. What's that mean? Everything. Everything. Like everything you have doesn't belong to you. God gave it to you. You say, but I work for it. Yeah, but God gave you breath in your lungs. God gave you strength in your body. God gave you intelligence. God even gave you the job. So everything that we have as a student. Now, look, I'm not talking to non-Christians. If you're not a Christian, you could just totally check out. But as a Christian, we signed that dotted line and said, God, I surrender. It all belongs to you. That's how you honor God. And then it says, and with first fruits, the first fruits. Now, if you're new to the faith, you would, wouldn't know what first fruits is. That's, that's, that is the concept, the biblical concept of tithing. That's giving God your first and your best. Now, we don't have an agricultural society. So first fruits would have been agriculture, the best of my crops. The first fruit goes to the priest and to the house of God. Well, we don't live in an agricultural society. So the way we get paid is not crops, but money. So the first 10% of your income goes to the house of God. That's what he's talking about, first fruits. We give God our first and our best. And it says, of all your increase, so not only the first fruits of what it produces, but all of my increase in my life, then, everybody say then. Amen. Here's contingent, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Somebody's like, oh, Lord, fill that vat with some new wine. It's an agricultural society, right? Your barns, you're like, I ain't got a barn. No, you ain't got a barn, but you got a bank account. And so we're asking God, you've got a marriage, you've got a family, you've got, you've got a job. And we're asking God, would you fill my life to overflowing? How many could handle a little bit more of God's overflowing in our lives? Well, his promise is that your vats will overflow. You'll have more than you need. So we honor God. We give him our first and our, blessed, our best and we will be blessed and prosper. 
It has to be more than just lip service. And God uses this to test our hearts. Second thing is you want to be blessed and prosper, you got to give intentionally. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each one should give what he has decided. What he's decided. That, that's a very interesting word. Sometimes people can come into an environment like this and say, well, it's just sporadic. Like, I just give whatever the Lord has told me to give. Well, that's awesome. But God knew you were coming. So if you ask him before you get here, you actually won't be pulled by emotion. You'll be pulled by a decision. And not just any decision, but a quality decision. I never make great decisions in the spur of the moment. But when I've prayed about it, when I've asked God, when I've grabbed his word, when I've studied what I'm supposed to do, and I make a quality decision, that means if I feel it or if I don't, I still do the same thing because I've already decided in my heart what I'm going to give. And so we understand here, he's saying, deciding not out of regret or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the majority of your giving should not be spontaneous. It ought to already be pre-decided. Now, I also respond spontaneously. Have you ever been at a stoplight and there's a homeless man or a homeless woman and you just feel pulled in your heart? You give them some money that's in your pocket. That's awesome. Have you ever been at Kroger's or you've ever been at the grocery store or Whole Foods or wherever it is that you shop and you get in the line and then you feel the Holy Spirit say, pay for that person's groceries. You weren't planning on it. You didn't think about it. You didn't even check your bank account. You just felt God prompted. And how many know that ain't the devil? Come on, somebody. So the Holy Spirit's speaking to me and it's like, hey, let me buy your groceries so that whatever God's doing in their life, I get to just be a conduit of God's blessing in that moment. I mean, we've had it happen here. We had the hurricane. We've had the floods. I remember one month as a church and, and even some outside the church, we gave spontaneously to what God was doing, raised over $100,000 to bless people who had been affected by the hurricane. That wasn't planned. That was spontaneous. And that's okay, but I need you to know that's not the majority of how God's called us to give. What you give ought to be a line item budget. I need you to know if you're tithing, how I many know that's got to be a line item in my budget? Because if it's not a line item, by the end of the month, it's going to be gone. The enemy will have devoured what you were going to set aside by God. But God's not moved by intention. God's moved by doing what he has said. It's a good amen. Got it. Amen. 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 So we got to pray and, and prepare. You know, tithes, offerings, legacy. I'm a legacy giver here at our church. I, I try to be the top giver at our church. Now, you know, people outgive me, and that's awesome. But I, I, my goal is to outgive and just say, God. But to do that, to be a legacy giver, I got to put it in the budget. If you're going to bless other organizations and nonprofits and ministries, there ought to be some money set aside and do it intentionally, not because you were manipulated or you were moved in a moment sporadically. Third thing is we are blessed and prosperous when we give generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now this passage, you ought to take this home and study this passage. I mean, think about what is just said. He, who's he? That's God. Will supply seed. He didn't say to everybody. He didn't say to just the needy. He said, I will supply seed to the sower. The sower, that's the one that he can trust. When he's looking around this earth, he's looking around our church. He's like, I got some seed. I got some blessings I'm trying to get to the world. And here's how cool it is. It don't matter what your bank account says. It doesn't matter about your job status. If you will say, God, I will be a sower, God will find a way to get seed in your life so that you can sow it into the people around you. See, you think it's about your job and how much you make or don't make. God's like, I'm just looking for sowers. I'm looking for someone that says, God, that's me. And you say, well, that hadn't been me. That's okay. Repent, which means, God, I used to not be a sower, but God, I'm going to be a sower. And I'm asking you to trust me. Will you give me more than I need? And when you do, I'm not going to buy a bigger house or a better car or go on a greater vacation. I'm going to take that seed and I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to sow it. And what you will find is that God will begin to drop seed in your life and you're going to say, God, wow, I've been able to give more than I ever imagined. I never thought I'd be in a place to be able to give like this. And not only that, he provides food. Isn't that what's interesting? So I'm going to give you seed 
And then I'm going to provide all that you need. And then increase that store of seed. So here's what I find. The more you give the, and the more God can trust you, the more God trusts you with. It's just an increase. Like you can't give a thousand if you've never given a hundred. And someone says, well, pastor, I'm broke. Don't let the condition of your life determine the condition of your promise. I don't care if you're broke now. Give that dollar. Give that 10. Give that 100. And I'm not trying to quantify it. I'm just telling you, you can have an excuse or you can live blessed. It's your decision. We start on whatever level we're in. And wherever you've been, you shouldn't be there the rest of your life. You ought to progressively get better and more and live on different levels. Why? Because God can trust you. God can trust you. It's amazing. And he says, then you're going to be made rich in every way. And here, here we go back to it. So that. Here it is. Why? So I could buy the bigger house. Look, that's not between me and you. And that's between you and God. I'm just telling you. He's saying, look, so that I can be generous on every occasion. Not some occasion. How many like to be able to give, like, like you just want to walk out here. You would bless someone. Driving through Chick-fil-A because that's the holy chicken. Buy someone's, buy someone's food. I'm telling you what. Go to Kroger's. You start blessing people and you watch how God will begin to move things in your life. It is not determined by how much your employer pays you. Our God in heaven is unlimited in his supply. I feel something up in here this morning. I wasn't preaching like this first service. I'm telling you what, God is breaking some things, man. You feel that? Like there has been a spirit of poverty and a spirit of lack that has tried to defeat you and a misunderstanding of prosperity that has tried to hold you back. And that's because God wants to use you in an unprecedented way. He's doing something in your life. He says, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I love that. So in other words, when you're generous, people are going to look at you, but your life is going to point back to God. They're going to look at you. Why would you do that? Because there's a God in heaven that loves you. Why would you do that? Because he told me to. He brought me here to provide for you. He loves you and wants you to know that he is all for you. It's amazing. Points back to God. Then point back to us. Then point back to Anchor Ben. Points back to God. It's amazing what God would do. And I think the challenge that we have to fight against, there's really two mentalities. There's a scarcity mentality and there's an abundance mentality. Scarcity mentality is this mentality of I don't have enough, so when I get it, I hoard it, I hold on to it because I never know when more is coming. And that's a spirit of poverty. And I want to break that in our church because God doesn't live with scarcity. God lives with an abundance. An abundance says, I know my source. He put it in my hands and I'm going to give it out. But what's in my hands came from God and his supply is unlimited. And I can trust that it will never run out because there's an abundance in my life. Amen. Phyllis and I, uh, this summer we did something different. My kids, I have 13-year-old my, my son right there, my boy, my man, the one that looks and acts just like me. And then I got a little seven-year-old, so they, they go all the way from 13 to seven. I got four chitlins. They're amazing at times. Um, so here we, we, we decided this summer, look, we're going to go and get summer passes to Slurbon. We're going to get season passes, something we've never done before, but my oldest is old, or my youngest is old enough now. We thought, hey, we're going to go and do it. And one of the traditions we do to make it fun is on the way to Slitterbond in Galveston, Texas, which is where we go, we stop at Bucky's. Come on, how many know a road trip ain't a road trip unless you get you some Bucky's? Like you got to get those beaver nuggets and all the, the goodness. I don't know what it is. It's like, it's like holy chicken, holy Bucky's. I don't know. It's, it's amazing. It's weird. And so one of the things we do is we tell our kids, if we just budget it in the budget, go get whatever you want for lunch. You get one drink and you get one snack. Now, we say snack. We know they're going to get candy, but we're hoping they make good, wise choices. They never do, but that's the rule. So they get something to eat, they get something to drink, and they get a snack. So on this day, we're driving. We load off into Bucky's. Everybody gets in there, gets their stuff. We get back in the car, and we start to drive to Galveston to go to Slitterbond, and it's, it's amazing. And one of the things I love about Bucky's, they've got these ham sandwiches. I don't even know what's in it. It's like crack. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> And it's like this thick, and I don't even know what it's called. Phyllis orders it for me. And I don't even eat bread because it's of the devil. But I eat this bread, and it just is amazing. And 
I always eat it on the drive because we're always in a hurry. And so I'm eating it. I finished it. It was great. I drink some of Phyllis's Diet Dr. Pepper. Mm, but now I want something sweet, right? And I know my kids got something sweet. So I just peered to the back, which is where Raylan, my seven-year-old, is sitting. And she's got a bag of gummy worms. Now, not necessarily what I wanted, but it's a lot of sugar. So I thought, hey, no big deal. Hey, Raylan, can dad have a gummy worm? And she, I know she heard me, but she did like this. She's like... Yeah, this is what I did. I kind of chuckled, and you heard me. Hey, Raylan! And, and you know, she's starting to get, she's like, oh, Raylan! And she, she finally looks at me, and I said, hey, sweetheart. I said, hey, can Dad just have one? I didn't ask for ten. I didn't ask for five. I didn't even ask for two. I just asked for one gummy worm. And she sat there, and she just sat there. And, and she, you, she looked in her bag. I don't know what she was counting, but she's looking in her bag. And she looks up. And I'm thinking, what's so hard? Hey, Raylan, can I, can you, I just want one. She said, no. <laughs> no. I, I'm like, what? And I'm trying to play it off and try to be all fun because it's vacation. <laughs> what? Come on, Raylan, just one. And you know what she did? No. No. <laughs> Not even one gummy worm. And so Caden, my most beloved of all, the oldest... My man, he kind of looks at Raylan. He's laughing. I'm kind of laughing, but kind of not, you know. And he says, Raylan, you know dad bought you the whole bag of gummy worms. And she just looked at him, and she's looking at him. He's like, give dad a gummy worm. And so she grabs a gummy worm, bites half of it off. <laughs> didn't even give me a whole one and passes it to me. And I later found out that's the part she didn't even like that color. Raylan hasn't yet discovered what Caden already knows. And that's if you bless daddy, daddy's going to bless you. Daddy's pockets are deep. My boy's got it. I asked that boy for something. He's like, dad, you want the whole bag? I'll go get you another one. What you want? Because he knows that when he blesses his father's heart, his father will do anything to bless him. Yeah, uh-huh. And the challenge for us is that God has given us a bag of gummy worms, and he's asking you to bless people. And we're like Raylan, who is addicted to sugar. We don't know any better. And the devil has lied and said, all you've got is all you'll ever have. And God says, all you've got is not all you've ever had. I'm going to fill your cup. I'm going to give you more. But I need you to trust your daddy. I need you to trust me. Yeah. Y'all sit down. Well, here's, here's what I would say. It goes back to the tithes. It's like that gummy worm. God, I'm not going to give you all the tithes, but I'm going to give you half. God didn't ask you for half. It's not even my system. It's God's system. I know it got a little quiet. We was hollering, woo, he's going to give me none. But, but think about when he said to give to legacy, and we didn't give all. Or he says to buy someone groceries. It's not even inside these four walls. It's how we live our lives. Will we give what God says, knowing that, God, you're a good father. You're a good dad. You do want to bless me. And then here's the last thing, and then we're going to close. And I feel like this is probably one of the most important, especially as you begin to be blessed. You've got to stay dependent on God. It's got, like, my, my hope can't be in stuff. And, and I get it. Look, when I was a college student, trust me, and Phyllis and I were first married, trust me, my hope wasn't in my bank account. It wasn't in no 401k. It wasn't even in a couple of the properties that we owned. It's like, oh my God, because it wasn't enough. But here's the challenge, and I'm talking to those of you that have lived this. You've been blessed now. You ain't got a couple of properties. You got a lot of properties. You ain't got $20 in your 401k. Now you got hundreds of thousands of dollars. Your bank account ain't empty. You fool because you've been saving. You've been a good steward. Well, the challenge now is this. God, is that still your stuff? Because it was your stuff when there wasn't nothing there. Now there's some stuff you done blessed me with. And if we're not careful, the enemy will flip the script. And what will happen is instead of me having stuff, stuff will begin to have me. Look at the, the charge. And this is, this is such a charge to us. First Timothy 6, 17. Command those 
So this is Paul talking to Timothy. He's telling the, the people of the church, Timothy, I need you to get out to the body of Christ. I need you to command those who are rich in this present world. In other words, the blessings of God have chased you down. You understood the principles. We're operating at a higher level. And I've got to tell you, this church is generous. You guys give over and above. But the concern is my hope is now in stuff and not in God. He says, don't be... Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in the wealth that you have, which is so uncertain. But put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything. And I love the last part for your enjoyment. Look, what you got? I praise God for air conditioning. Those 101 days outside, I'm like, whoo. No, I ain't going outside. I'm going back in some AC, baby. Put on my air-conditioned seats because I sweat. I love it. I thank God. Thank you for my air-conditioned seats, oh God. Ford, you're amazing. My truck is awesome. It's amazing. I tell my friends about it. They don't even believe we got air-conditioned for our hineys. It's awesome. I got a nice house. Got nice things. Got nice clothes. Thank God. He liked my new pants. I, love it. I was able to go buy these. I didn't have to charge them. I didn't have to beg them. But the truth is, some of us feel so guilty you can't even enjoy it. God wants you to enjoy it, but just don't be captured by it. What if God says to give away that house? What if God says to give away that car? What if God says to give away your clothes or that money? Or what? Will you allow the riches of God to pass through you? Yes, because my hope is not in stuff. My hope is in him. Let me pray God's blessing over each and every one. Father, I thank you for today. God, I pray that each person will be blessed and prosper. God, I pray that you move supernaturally like only you can do. God, that you have broken off the misunderstanding with prosperity. That God, there has been abuse with it, but God, it is a biblical term and a biblical concept. And you want your people to be blessed. And Lord, I'm asking for us to be willing and obedient. That God, what you have asked us to do, we will say yes and amen. And Lord, we expect your blessings to chase us down as we are a funnel, a conduit of your blessings to the world. Lord, I thank you for this region, that this region is blessed because of Anchor Bend. Every person that sits in here, and it's not just about inside the four walls, but outside these four walls, God, we would be a blessing to others. We would be generous to the world around us. We thank you for that. Now keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. There are some of you here you're far from God. Maybe you've never had a relationship with God, but God brought you to this place. You've been searching. You've been looking. And this morning you found what you've been searching for. It's the presence. It's the power of God. And now you're ready to start a relationship with him. Maybe you had one with him, but you turned away. Today, you're ready to recommit your life. I don't know which one it is. You've never had one or you had one. You're ready to come back. But I believe there are some of you here this morning. You're ready to say yes to Jesus. Turn away from the old way of life. Turn away from your old habits, the old things you used to say and do and say, God, I'm all in with you. And if that's you, I just want to lead us in a prayer of surrender. But before I do that, just as an act of surrender, I wonder if you'd be bold enough just to raise your hand. Just say, Pastor, that's me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. You say, that's me. I'm ready to go all in to surrender everything to him right now. Yes, 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 yes. All over this place, people are saying yes to Jesus. Come on, church, celebrate what God is doing in this place. I want us to do this. Would you... Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Forgive me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I give you my life. I give you everything right now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, worship God this morning.